0: Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah hamdan kathiran, tayyiban, mubarakan feeh, mubarakan alayhi. Kama yuhibu rabbuna wa yardha jalla jalaluh wa amman awaluh. Wa salatu wa salamu ala sayyidil habibil Mustafa sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa salama kathiran ila yawmiddin amma bad. قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القران المجيد والفرقان الحميد محمد رسول الله وقال تعالى والذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وآمنوا بما بما نزل على محمد وهو الحق من ربهم كفر عنهم سيئاتهم وأصلح بالهم وقال تعالى ما كان محمد أبا أحد من رجالكم ولكن رسول الله وخاتم النبيين so dear uh, respected elders, uh, brothers, sisters, really wonderful to be in your midst today, especially uh, for this topic and this subject of celebrating uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam discussing his greatness, his beauty, and uh, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala accept accepted from us whatever, uh, however much shortcomings we have in that, whatever form we do it in, it's, it can't fulfill his rights, but we just ask that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept, accept us uh, for this time that we're spending here and then beyond this, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow the lights of this gathering to continue with us and to shine a light for us for the rest of our life as well. I just want to quote to you a few lines of the Burda. Imam Busiri rahimahullah, he says, فَاقَ fi wa fi وَلَمْ يُدَانُوهُ فِي عِلْمٍ وَلَا كَرَمٍ كل مِنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ مُلْتَمِسٌ غَرْفًا مِنَ الْبَحْرِ أو رَشْفًا مِنَ الدِّيَمِ وَوَاقِفُونَ لَدَيْهِ عِنْدَ حَدِّهِمْ مِنْ نُقْتَةِ الْعِلْمِ أو مِنْ شَكْلَةِ الْحِكَمِ So Imam Boussiri is saying the following. He says, In his form and his qualities, he excelled the other prophets. Their knowledge and nobility did not rival his own Each of them seeks something of Allah's messenger Handfuls from the sea or drops of the drizzle Before him do they stand Respecting their limits Dots to his knowledge Dots to his knowledge or vowel signs to his wisdom. I remember when I first read this, I thought this was an exaggeration. Poets do exaggeration. Poetry poetry is about exaggeration. And a certain amount of license is allowed. When you do poetry, you do a bit of exaggeration. And when people read it, they understand that there can be some exaggeration in there. Anybody who takes a poem literally sometimes and complains that it's got shirk in there, right? Uh, because they just can't understand the nuance and the metaphor then that's just a misunderstanding that's just a shortcoming in that regard when i read this first saying about a comparison between muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the other prophets saying that the comparison is that they are just like dots to his knowledge or vowel signs to his wisdom one way to understand this is that in arabic writing as opposed to English. In English, we have the vowels and the consonants. The vowels are the same size as the consonants. So an A E I O U takes the same amount of space as a T or a B or a C or a D. So that's why to write Muhammad is going to be much longer in English than it is in Arabic because in Arabic, all you need is Mim Ha Mim Dal. And if you want to add the vowels, they're little symbols. The Fatha and Domma, the Zabarzer that's the symbol. So it's a much shorter way of writing. He is saying that the comparison is like if Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi if his knowledge or himself, if he is like the letters, the actual skeletal letters of Alif, Ba, Ta, tha, the other prophets are just like the dots. They're just like the dots of the Ba, Ta, tha, or they're just like the symbols, the vowel symbols. And I thought, this is an exaggeration. So I looked into it a bit more deeply. And then when you start exploring it from that perspective, this is absolutely no exaggeration. In fact, I think it's an underestimation.
1: There's no exaggeration
0: in this at all. Because if you just look at any aspect of the Prophet and this is not to denigrate any other Prophet. The Prophets are the most superior human beings. None of us, no other human being besides one can reach their status. But when we're comparing Muhammad the best of creation to other prophets, Muhammad sallallahu wa has a very, 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 very special status, far beyond. Look at where he's been, look at what's been given to him, look at what was designed for him, what was pre-planned for him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has Ibrahim. Salam. You guys know the story of Ibrahim salam speaking to our younger, younger brothers and sisters. You know the story of Ibrahim. That many, many thousands of year, years before, he was told to go there and leave his wife Hajar or Ajar and his son, new son Ismail, السلام, there in this completely waterless, treeless desert area, which was soon to become one of the greatest places on the earth. That was all a preparation a few thousand years ago. That became inhabited. And then from there came Muhammad sallallahu wasallam. was a specially chosen place Everything about him is chosen Nothing is random Everything is by perfect design Everything in this world is by design You can't even make an excuse that it's by random It can't even be mistaken as random in this case So he is born in this place called Makkah Makkah Mukarramah Makkah Mukarramah Is a place where if you stay there for three days I don't know if you ever thought about this But if you stay there for three days As many people do you will receive 1.5 million rewards for the prayers that you do there. Because every prayer there is worth a hundred thousand. You do five prayers in a day, that's five hundred thousand. Times three days, that's 1.5 million rewards. That's the place that he's born in. Not only that, the Prophet, ﷺ, his grandfather was Abdul Muttalib. He had at least about 10 sons, out of which the best name was Given to the father of the Prophet. Abdul Muttalib had ten sons. Out of that, the father was Abdullah. There were others, there was Abbas, we know about Abbas and Hamza anhum. There were only four of the uncles that remained of the Prophet. Out of the others, out of all of the other uncles he had, only four remained while he received prophecy, while he became a Prophet. One was Abbas, one was Hamza and both of them became Muslims. Their names are very neutral. positive names. The other two of his uncles that were alive, who knows, for our children, go ahead, Abu Lahab, and the other one, Abu something, Abu Talib, Abu Talib and Abu Lahab, interestingly, these two did not become Muslim, Abu Lahab was an enemy, Abu Talib was very supportive, but unfortunately, as mentioned in the Hadith of Sahih Muslim, etc., what is really interesting the Ulama mentioned is that Abu Talib and Abu Lahab, these are just their titles, it's not their names. Their real names, because they had uh, titles in those days. Their real names, Abu Lahab was actually Abdul Uzza, Abdul the slave of Uzza, the idol. And Abu Talib, his name was Abdul Manaf, the servant or the slave of Manaf. They did not become Muslim. The other two, Abbas and Hamza, radiallahu anh, they became Muslim. Now... Abdullah, the, the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's the name of the father of the Prophet sallallahu After the Prophet sallallahu sallam, is conceived, the, uh, Abdullah passes away He passes away, the Prophet sallallahu sallam, is born without a father You know that story The Prophet's mother's name, again, specially chosen His mother's name is Amina, which comes from Aman Safety, security Safety, security, that's his mother's name then you have the midwife, the midwife that helped to, give, uh, ha- helped to deliver uh, when Prophet ﷺ was born, what was her name? Does anybody know? Her name was Shifa, means cure, therapy. That was the name of the woman who was a midwife, thereafter that with Amina, she had a, a maid who. When the Prophet ﷺ came back to his mother and they took a trip to Medina, uh, to uh, her Abwa, to her, fa- her forefather's place, that's where eventually on that return journey, her mother, his mother passed away. Amina passed away. So the person that took care of the Prophet ﷺ afterwards, and for a very long time afterwards, was her, her, uh, her maid, and her name was Barakah. Blessing. That was her name. She was a Habashiyah, Abyssinian. That was her name. And her title was Ummu Ayman. That comes from the concept of Yuman, which means fortune. Everything around him, everything around him is specially chosen. There's nothing left to chance. There's nothing left. Allah doesn't leave anything to chance anyway, but here you can't even mistake it as anything else. Thereafter that, the mother that gave him milk, that breastfed him, was none other than Halima Sa'diya. Now look at the choice of the name there. Halima from the Banu Sa'd tribe. Halima comes from Hilm, which means forbearance, patience, prudence. And Sa'diya comes from Sa'd, Sa'ada, fortune, a fortune. And subhanAllah, all of this comes. Now let's just look at some, and this is a story especially for our young ones. In Makkah Mukarramah, Whenever newborns, whenever people were born, children were born, because Makkah was a city, the parents used to send their children away for a year, two years, maybe some months, to the outlying villages. So somebody else, a woman there, would actually look after those children and they would nurse them. They would nurse them. There was cleaner air out there, the language was better, and so on and so forth. There are a number of reasons, and that was a tradition there. Nowadays, we don't do that anymore, you know, we stay with our mothers. But then they would actually have a milk mother who was separate. So, Halima Saadiya, she comes from that tribe with a, a number of other women. And they've come, and it's that season, the baby season or whatever it is, I'm not, I wasn't, I'm not sure. She comes, and they're all looking for a child that they can make. What's in it for them? If they do a good job, maybe the parents of that child will give them an award. They'll make some money out of it. They'll give them a gift or whatever the case is. So, she said that we were going through severe drought the animal that I was on, that I had come with, was always lagging behind when we were coming to Makkah-Mukarrabah. After that, everybody, it was the end of the day, and everybody had found an offspring, had found a child to take home with them so that they could feed them. <coughs> However, I couldn't find anybody. And people had turned down, they had not taken Muhammad Sallallahu because he didn't have a father. And because he didn't have a father and he was an orphan, you didn't expect to get many, uh, much of a gift or something from his parents. So people had not really taken him. So I thought, I haven't found anybody else. I don't want to go back empty-handed. Let me take him. Maybe there's going to be blessing in there. And that was the best choice that she ever made in her life, probably. Right? Probably the best choice she made in life. She took the child. As soon as she starts on her way home, her animal that she was riding starts going faster than everybody else. Before, it's as if she'd come in a beat-up Datsun, right, like from 30 years ago, that was just about, you know, making it. Now, mashallah, she's like in a Ferrari, you know, for our, uh, for our young brothers and sisters, and she's just ahead of everybody. They're saying, Ala like, what's going on? Hold up. Like, what happened to your animal? You know, you were struggling before, now you're ahead. And she says that, I was struggling to even feed my own children milk, but now I was able to feed them and feed the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and there was enough more than enough to go along. In fact, more than that, I saw there was a drought in that time, which means that there was, a, there was hardly any rain. And she said that people's animals were, were suffering. Their, graze, you know, their, their, their grazing of their animals, their sheep, their goats, or whatever it was, they were suffering. My animals would always come back full, and they got fatter and fatter. And everybody's wondering that where is this secret pastures that you have to, to, to feed your animals? Where is it? Tell us about it as well. And it was nothing other than the blessing of the Prophet ﷺ. So what happened is generally a lot of the others had gone and given back their children, but she wanted to keep them. She wanted to keep Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam because of the blessing she had seen. So she went to Makkah and uh, got some more, an extension to keep Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now after this happened, suddenly one day, this uh, very special event, he 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 was playing with his brother and sister, meaning Halima's original children, her own children. And suddenly what she saw, what they saw is that there's... Two men that have come and put the Prophet ﷺ down, and they're spitting his chest. Now, when you see that in those days, there's, there's no survival. So they ran in, they said that somebody is basically he's killed uh, Muhammad, ﷺ, but these were the angels that had come to take, extract his heart, take out a certain small amount from there. mink. That's what uh, is mentioned in the hadith, and wash it with, uh, in, a, in a gold vessel of zamzam, and then that was the first open-heart surgery. Right? Done to the Prophet ﷺ. and later on some of the sahaba would remark they uh, would remark that we would see the uh, the, the, uh, the marks of that of being of having Sonam. that wasn't the only time there were at least uh, Two or three instances where, where, where this happened. So right from the beginning this special everything is very specially laid out and It's a beautiful story. You can read about the story. That's what I'm going to mention for this to move on to the next story now there's another incident look in sahih muslim and there's some narrations there about the ascension of the prophet the mi'raj and amazing it's absolutely amazing the prophet is taken by night from bakka mukarrama to jerusalem and from there he uh, in jerusalem he leads all the prophets in the prayer and then from there he goes up to the heavens on the burak now very interestingly if you read the hadith they get to the first heaven And at the first heaven, the guardian of the first heaven, he asks, who is it? He said, Jibreel. Jibreel is with him. Who's with you? Muhammad is with me. Has he been invited? That's one way to read it. Another, the better way to read it is, oh, has he been invited? Like, amazing, he's been invited. So then they let him in and on the first heaven the prophet ﷺ meets with adam ﷺ because he's on the first heaven and he welcomes him Marhaban bi ibni salih, and so on he welcomes him then he gets to the second heaven same thing same question and they give that they express their excitement here he meets with isa ﷺ and Yahya ﷺ, the two cousins then he gets on to the third heaven and there he meets with yusuf ﷺ. On the fourth heaven, he welcomes him. On the fourth heaven, he meets with Ayyub alayhi salam. No, Idris alayhi salam. On the fourth heaven, he meets with Idris alayhi salam. On the fifth heaven, he meets with Harun alayhi salam. And they all welcome him. Marhaban bi Welcome, our righteous brother. And they have a meeting. Then on the sixth heaven, that's where he meets with Musa alayhi salam. And that's a very special encounter. Musa salam, is on the sixth heaven. And on the seventh heaven, he meets with Ibrahim. Salam. From there, they carry on. And then it says they get to a place, the end of the loat tree, the Sidratul Muntaha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses this in Surah Al Najm. And it carries on. ما ما so Jibril is now continuing on with him. He says that when they got to the lot tree, now this is the really really interesting part. When they get to the lot tree, the Prophet says, we got to the lot tree and فلما من أمر الله ما غشية Yastatiu min husniha. This just amazed me. I've been thinking about this for a very long time. There's a number of versions. He says, when I got there, there was a show that was put on for me. A spectacle, a, 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 a movie, whatever you want to call it, a demonstration of a, a beautiful show. And he says that it was so beautiful, it was so beautiful that there's no human being that can describe it. There's no human being that can describe how... Amazing that spectacle was. In another version, he says farash, farashum min golden flying objects. Most likely angels. They put on a show on this huge tree that is out there. He explains how big the uh, the, the fruits are of that tree and so on, and the leaves and etc. It's like the the elephant's ears, huge tree, the sidratul muntaha. But that show that was placed on it. I've been thinking about it for a while. Has anybody? You know, generally we look at 2D objects You may have had a 3D experience somewhere Where they make you wear those goggles and you feel like things are Jumping out at you, being thrown at you, and it feels a bit more realistic And then you have a, uh, you have a 4D experience Where you're sitting in a certain seat and they, they, they prick you And you feel gusts of air and maybe sprinkles of water So that's like a fourth dimension I think this was way beyond that kind of dimension And it's, that's why you can't describe something like this I think the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa experiences with every pore of his body. How can you describe something like that? In fact, one of our muhaddithin of ulama of the subcontinent, he speaks about this hadith in which the Prophet sallallahu said, once he was standing for prayer in front, and he said, without looking back, he said, why do I see some of you uh, with protruding out of the line and not in line with one another? He says, make sure that you're in line, otherwise Allah will place, uh, Allah will place discord between your hearts. He then, in one, in one of those narrations, he says, because I see you from behind. Prophet Sallallahu is standing in front. Everybody's behind him, but he can tell that people are not in order. And he says, I can see you. So many ulama, they've, they've explained, provided possible explanations of how could he see. Some said things like, oh, the front wall was made like a mirror for him. Others said it was by, by revelation, by inspiration. One of our sheikhs, they said, Sheikh Zakaria, uh, he says that this was after the Mi'raj incident. This was after the journey to the Mi'raj. And when the Prophet ﷺ had gone up to the heavens in order for him to be able to experience the heavenly experiences there, and beyond that, when he went up to meet Allah, Subhanahu wa Taala, all the limitations from his sight were stripped off. We have a certain limitation because when I look... Like this, I can see an arc of vision. Things which are beyond my arc of vision, I can't see them. I can, we can only see as a, a, an arc of vision. He, all of that was stripped from him, so he could see in multi-dimension, whatever that was. I mean, the scientist can put a name to that. So he says that's why he could now see from even behind, without having to turn around. And Allah, Allah, whether that stayed forever, whether that was for a short, Allah knows best. But thereafter that from there they carry on jibreel carries on with the prophet they get to a place where jibreel finally tells him now jibreel is the angel where he's probably been more places than anybody else has he is the closest the highest of the angels but he says from here you're going to have to proceed alone because i can no longer come from here we've got to the end of wherever that extremity of the universe is so the prophet proceeded alone to meet with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he says that there, he mentions in some narrations, not in Sahih Muslim, but some other narrations, that he heard the voice of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiAllahu anhu there. Why Abu Bakr Siddiq radiAllahu anhu? Possibly because being in a place such a solitary place where nobody has ever been, you know, nobody's ventured, no angel has gone. And there's a feeling of aloneness, of aloneness and solitude, so maybe just to make him feel good, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And then he meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. According to the strongest opinion among the Sahaba, he saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are other views that he saw a light, there's a minority view that he did not see Allah, but the stronger view is that he saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which nobody else has ever done. Nobody else has done, even if they sought it. Now when he comes back, he's got a gift of 50 prayers. We know, you know the story, the 50 prayers. Musa tells him, "You can't. your ummah cannot do 50. Thank Allah. Allah thank Musa Right? I mean, we must give him something back for this. So, then the story, you know the story that he keeps going back and it's lessened 45, 40, and it goes down to 5. And eventually, Musa says, even 5 is too much, go back and get that decrease. But Prophet S. S. said, I'm too embarrassed now. And now it's 5. Allah says, I will give you the reward of 50, just do the 5 prayers the barakah of muhammad now something interesting that some commentators have remarked here. and today is a time of just glorifying the beauty of the prophet sallallahu that's why it's absolutely appropriate to mention this here why did musa sallam keep sending him back obviously he's got he's, you know he he has an interest in our uh, in our in our welfare one thing but there was also something else they say possibly which is that he was unable to see allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so now maybe he can get a frequent glance more than once of the eyes that saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaykh was mentioning about people valuing those who had seen the Prophet. Here he was valuing the Prophet because he had been able to see Allah. So he can at least see the eyes that have seen Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you love something, you want everything about them. You want to mention everything about them. That's why some people mention, why does Allah says, fi khalkir rahman? And not fi khalkillah. Why? Because when you have a comprehensive personality, you want to mention all because you become more nuanced in your approach to people. You become more nuanced in your approach to the personality. That's why the Prophet, wasallam, if you look at the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, spoken about him in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has spoken about the Prophet wasallam with his name four or five times. Muhammad and ahmad mostly Muhammad once Ahmed. Right? However, there's many others, muẓammil, mudathir, number of other names, not just names. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala speaks of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam speaking about parts of his body, mentioning parts of his body, and there's numerous verses to that effect. For example, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions the face, the countenance of Rasulullah sallallahu more than one time. قَدْ نَرَى تَقْلُبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ فَوَلِي وَجْهَكَ شَطْرَ فَإِنْ حاجوك فقل اسلمت وجهي للذي وجهي لله ومن اتبعني وان اقيم وجهك للدين حنيفا فاقيم وجهك للدين القيم الله سبحانه وتعالى tells him to direct his countenance in a particular way thereafter Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the eyes mentions the eyes of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam la tamuddna 'ainayka ila ma ta'na bihi azwajan minhum wa la wa la ta'du 'ainaka 'anhum ما زاغ البصر وما تغى. If that's relating to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then the chest and the back. ألم نشرح لك صدرك ودعنا عنك وذراك الذي أنقذ ظهرك. Very specific mentions. You only do specific mentions of valued entities. Thereafter, Allah says about the heart of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. وإنَهُ لَتَنْزِيلُ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ الْأَمِينُ عَلَى قَلْبِك upon your heart. Then رأى, فؤاد, the inner heart is mentioned. Thereafter that the tongue of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Thereafter that the hand and the throat. don't keep your hands uh, constrained on your throat. All of these descriptions are mentioned. So now The few things that I want to mention is love of the Prophet already elucidated all of this, the importance of the practice. The practicing the Sunnah of the Prophet is not easy. They say that the true Sufi is not the one who shows miracles, is not the one who can do extraordinary events. The true Sufi is the one who can remain steadfast on the Sunnah of Rasulullah That is difficult. To always be concerned about what the Prophet has guided me in this regard. To be looking for that. The only way we can do that is to learn more about him. And learn more about what he said. And what guidance he provided. Right? How do you develop a love? You learn more about them. So if I'm looking for a new car. And I have decided that I'm going to buy a BMW 2 Series. What happens? I didn't know much about that car. But now that it's a candidate. I will start... Learning more about it. I'll go for a test drive. I'll ask other owners about it. I'll check online reviews and slowly, slowly, if it's worth it, then the qualities of it will stand out and they will find a place in my heart. That's why when you're trying to buy a house or a car, don't ever get emotionally attached because if you don't get it, then you're going to be really sad. Likewise with a spouse because we get emotionally attached. The only one that you should be getting emotionally attached is Allah and Rasulullah. Because that's where that emotion is going to produce something for us. In this world, in the hereafter. Only get emotionally attached with them in that sense. That's, and then you can be emotionally attached to anybody else for their sake. But not for anything else's sake on its own. So that's what we want to do is, how do we do that? Um, I, I moved to America in 2000. And there was a, that was just after the Bosnian War. And there was an individual there, a Bosnian brother, who had just moved in. Now, Bosnians at that time had not been, uh, had been very secularized and not been very religious. But now he was finding his deen and he said to me, Give me a book on the seer of Rasulullah. I gave him one. He read it. He said, Give me another one. He said, You've already read one. He says, There's no way that you can learn about anything or anyone just by one person's perspective, by one book. There's There's some very simple facts about the Prophet's life when the Badr happened, when the Uhud happened and so on and so forth. They can't be changed. But the perspectives, what people have gleaned, the pearls that people have extracted, that you're going to get from different books. And we owe it to the Prophet to know more about it. Because that's the only way we can fulfill the obligation of loving the Prophet. That's the only way we can learn about the obligation of Rasulullah ﷺ. I'll just leave us with one point to think about. There's a lot of criticism about Rasulullah among the non-Muslims. Why do you think that criticism is there? Is it because they've read a seerah and they didn't like it? They did not read any seerah of the Prophet They've seen you and I. They've seen me, people like me and others who are not representing Prophet in the proper way, in every aspect. The Prophet is such multifaceted and it takes a lifetime to become fully like him. Right? And we glorify that idea. We cannot go and give seerah books and then get angry right, to, on non-Muslims when they criticize our Prophet because of our own deeds. Inshallah, if we all try to think of one thing that we can do every time you know, we think about the Prophet and improve ourselves, then we can be the true Muhammadis. And then inshallah, people will get a better perspective of what Muhammad sallallahu wa must have been Because there's no other way for non-Muslims to find out about the Prophet Remember the sunnahs of the Prophet are many many And some of them are difficult Culturally we, they may not be even appropriate Within our cultures Within our family paradigms Or wherever we stay or wherever we walk That's fine All we have to do is never justify Never justify That just because I live in XYZ situation Or in the West or in the UK or America or whatever That I don't have to do this. It's a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. If I can't do it today, I want to do it tomorrow, inshaAllah. Oh Allah, give me the tawfiq. I had a friend in uh, in, one of the, in, Arizona, in one of the towns in Arizona. Right? He was the only guy there that wore a turban. A turban is not necessary to wear. It's a sunnah, it's not necessary, it's not wajib. He, had, he used to wear a turban in that heat. And one Muslim came up to him and said, Brother, why do you have to wear this for? Maybe he was feeling he had a guilt. Like, why'd you wear this, you know, and so on. So he says, why'd you wear this? So the, the shaykh said to him, he said, I don't know what to tell you. It's not necessary to wear this, but how do I explain this to you? The best of men, the best of creation, the most beloved of Allah used to wear it. And that's why I follow it. I don't know how I can explain that to you. That's how the love of the Prophet ﷺ and the sunnah needs to become in our hearts. May Allah make it easy for us. It's not easy. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it for us. May Allah accept this program and may Allah allow the lights of this to uh, to continue and to endure for a very long time. Allah bless the organizers and everybody that's here and grant us love. JazakAllah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. JazakAllah khair and assalamu alaikum. وَرَحْمَتُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ